Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 60,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. If you want to join us, then claim your one-month free trial. Visit freeagent.com slash being freelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter Emily Reed. I wanted to show that I could walk the walk. I was an SEO copywriter. I needed to show people that I could get their website ranking by getting my website ranking. There were a couple of times that I considered quitting, especially because it's not just that you're not bringing money in, it really starts to affect you emotionally. You know, it's difficult to charge your worth, but when you charge your worth, you get better clients, you get better work, and you actually produce better work. So there is Emily, her story coming up very soon indeed. Thank you for listening as ever. If you enjoyed this, please do share it with other people, be it on Twitter or Instagram or... Oh, by the way, have you seen in Overcast, the app? It's like one of the podcast apps that you can get. It's now really easy to share clips from podcasts that you enjoy. So if you hear somebody say something really cool, you hit pause and then just share and then you share that bit of the podcast. Such a good feature. Yeah, share this podcast, help spread the word. Maybe you meet somebody at a meetup meet them in person or you you know you know someone in your co-workspace tell them about the podcast i would really appreciate that i also do another podcast with frankie from doing it for the kids community for freelancing parents if you've not checked that out it's called doing it for the kids you can come and find us there too and don't forget we have a community for freelancers the being freelance community so listeners from around the world coming together having a laugh but also supporting each other asking questions it's a really nice place there's a link at being freelance.com along with all the other episodes and articles and videos there's a link through to the community so come and join us there but right now let's crack on shall we and find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter emily reed hey emily hey steve how you doing i am good where are you so you sound australian but you're not in australia right now that's correct so i was born and raised in hobart tasmania most of my career has been in brisbane queensland where it's a lot warmer but I actually recently married my American husband, so now I'm in, currently in Northern Virginia in the US. Aha, okay. Well, let's find out how you got started being freelance. So my story begins back in 2013. So I just finished university. I started a Bachelor of Arts majoring in history and German, and then I did an honours year and got first-class honours in history. And I moved from my little island home in Tasmania to Brisbane, Queensland, which is bigger and significantly warmer and significantly more job opportunities. And when I moved, I told everyone that I was either going to work in a, a museum or in archives or in a writing job. But I didn't really know what kinds of writing jobs existed. And as I was searching online, I came across an SEO copywriting role. And as I was reading it, it was blowing my mind because I was like, I don't know what this SEO stuff is, but the rest of this just sounds like my perfect job description. This is awesome. And so I started applying for SEO copywriting roles at a variety of different businesses. And I got several interviews, but unfortunately for me, the timing didn't work out so great or fortunately, depending on how you look at it long term, the state government in Queensland had just laid off a huge number of workers from the public sector. They've made huge cuts to you know, get their 
budget imbalance or whatever the reason was. I'm not actually sure because I wasn't there just before it happened. And so the job market was flooded with all these people who not only had an education like me, but also had years of experience, which I had zero of. And so I kept getting these interviews, but nothing would come of it. So I went back to nannying part-time, which I'd done while I was studying at university. And while I was nannying for one family, I had to change to my hours and stuff and it didn't work for them. So I was looking for another nannying job. And I felt really strongly that I needed to look on Gumtree, which is like Craigslist in the States. So I'm not sure what the UK equivalent is, but it's like a buy buy and sell sort of sort of site, but a bit, bit more local. Someone was advertising that they needed a nanny. It was the perfect location and hours. So I went and interviewed. And as I was talking to the mother, she was asking me about uh, what I was doing. And I was actually at that time planning on going back to university to study a graduate certificate in marketing to do some copywriting courses. And when I said the word copywriting, it was like a little keyword for her. And she sort of said, oh, that's awesome. My husband's a web designer and he's been looking for a copywriter to work with. So not really what I expected, but uh, more than, you know, incredibly pleasant surprise. Anyway, so I ended up nannying for them for a while and he um, ended up building my website for me and I would sometimes money for cash and sometimes for the website, basically. And uh, my first clients were actually a few of his clients that needed some copy done. And then from there, because I had my website now, I worked super hard on it, writing all the different pages and blogging hardcore and everything else because I wanted to show that I could walk the walk. I was an SEO copywriter. I needed to show people that I could get their website ranking by getting my website ranking. So I started my business in July of 2013, and I think that's when the website was built as well, around about then. And before Christmas of that year, I was number one on Google for the keywords Brisbane copywriter and similar keywords. And that really just launched me into my career. Wow. And at what point did you give up the nannying? Yeah, so I kept doing it for the rest of, of 2013 because, of course, you know, I think in my first month I earned a grand total of $200 copywriting, which is not enough to live on. So, yeah, I was nannying till about the end of the year. They, uh, The family actually moved from Brisbane back to, um, to Toowoomba around about that time, I think. And the other family that I'd been nannying for put their child into uh, a daycare at their workplace. Now he was a little bit older and wasn't like a brand new baby. So yeah, I sort of I gave that up about the end of the year. And so up until that point, though, when would you squeeze in the copywriting? So I was only nannying a couple of days a week. So I was squeezing copywriting all the other days. And of course, yeah, I didn't actually at that stage have enough work for all of those days. So I was spending my time, you know, nanning a couple of days a week, working maybe a day and a half, two days worth of work each week, sometimes more. And the rest of the time I was frantically devouring everything on the internet from reputable sources about SEO and copywriting and marketing because I was self-taught. And while I knew I was, you know, I'm, I'm a good writer. I, I always have been. I remember on my honours thesis getting comments like, you have a beautiful, elegant writing style and lovely things like that. So, but, you know, I needed to learn how to transfer my writing skills to a copywriting and marketing context. And so, yeah, I was just frantically learning most of the time. Like, so within about six months, you're ranking number one for Brisbane copywriter. And that was your URL as well, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it is. So yeah, brisbanecopywriter.com.au. That one was on the advice of the web designer that I worked with originally because he had a huge SEO focus, which was great because that was what I wanted to focus on. And he was actually dyslexic, so he hated words, but he knew they were important. And so it just worked really well because he would look after his client's SEO from all the other perspectives, you know, the, the links and everything else and and loading time for the pages and all that stuff. And I would write the words. So what were the key things other than the URL that you were doing in order to to build that up at that point? So basically in SEO, the place that you're, you're starting when it comes to SEO copywriting, the foundation of it all is the main pages on your website. You want them to have plenty of content on them and you want them to be all keyword optimized and you want that keyword to be appearing in your title tag, in your meta description, in your H1 headline to that first headline and a couple of times in the in the copy throughout, which is actually how SEO copywriting works. It's, there's more to it, but at the same time, at a very basic level, that's what it is. So, you know, I was busy doing keyword research to understand what people were searching for when they were looking for somebody like me or for services like I was providing. And then once I'd done the keyword research, I was assigning the keywords to different pages as it made sense. And that builds your foundation. Then the next thing that you need to start doing is to blog uh, because you want this regularly updated content on your website because Google rewards relevancy. And basically, if you're putting fresh content on your site, they're going to consider you more up to date and therefore more relevant. And blogging also on top of that gives you the opportunity to capture some longer sort of tail keywords and people are searching for longer things. I remember one blog I wrote accidentally went not viral per se, but it got a lot of traffic because I um, I was an early adopter for the video chat service Zoom, which is like Skype or Google Hangouts, etc. And I did a comparison between Zoom, Skype and, and Google Hangouts and no one else had done that. And so it went to the top of Google straight away for anyone searching for that. And of course, the number of people searching for that got more, you know, hot, a bigger and bigger number as time went on, as more people discovered Zoom. And so, you know, that was kind of a, a bit of a funny one. I had all these people coming to my website who actually weren't that interested in copywriting, but wanted to know about video calls. But, you know, I, I had reviewed it because, of course, video calls can be a really valuable resource and tool for a freelancer in almost any line of work. So it was still relevant to my audience as well. But yeah, so that was that was the, the sort of the two main things was just really working on the content for my website and just refining it. And I mean, honestly, if I looked back at the original stuff now, I'd probably want to die. I'm sure it wasn't that great, but <laughs> compared to where I am now. But yeah, it was obviously good enough to get to the top of Google. And frankly, I don't think anyone else that was on the first page was trying that hard by that stage. And they all had such established businesses that even when I overtook them, they didn't feel the need to fight back. <laughs> so once you made it to, to the top, did you find that that was the key source of where you were getting your clients? Absolutely. So, you know, I've looked at it, the numbers a few times, not recently, though, so I couldn't tell you percentage wise. But, you know, up to 90 percent of my clients have come via my website over time. And it does, it does vary. There just seem to be seasons when people want to copyright more than other times. And those seasons vary from year to year. So I haven't really been able to nail down a pattern from them. 
But yeah, the vast majority of my work comes via Google. People see that I can walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, they read the website. I get a lot of comments that they like how sort of friendly it is and they feel like they get to know me a little bit radiant, which of course is all very much on purpose, but it's good to hear that it's working and that they appreciate that. Then after sort of Google and my website, the next source of it, clients for me over time has been referrals. There have been, obviously, my, my first clients were via referral. They were clients of the web designers that I was working with. And after that, I have had a couple of referrals from, from existing clients, but I also joined a business networking group in Brisbane um, and actually joined one and then we formed another one. And by developing really close relationships with these different business owners, some of them were freelancers, solo business owners like myself, others had small businesses or even, you know, small to medium businesses and developing that relationship. You know, it turns out that an accountant, when they're working with a client and talking about sources of income and, and everything is going to, they're going to potentially talk about marketing. And when they talk about marketing, they're going to talk about SEO copywriting. And so I've actually helped clients that were my accountant's friends' clients because that kind of came up in conversation and, and it made sense. And I've also networked with web designers and people know to look for a web designer. They don't always know to look for a copywriter. So sometimes I've had web designers who have been sending me clients because they're like, uh, my client has no words for their website or my client has words, has, my client has words for their website and they are awful. Please fix them. So yeah, so mostly from Google, but some from, from referral and networking. Because you went for a local SEO angle of Brisbane copywriter, were most of your clients local? Were you meeting them in person or, or was it more remote? Sure, yeah. So most of my clients have been from Brisbane or, or Queensland, but I have had some from other states as well. I even had a, uh, I think they were Dutch, I had a Dutch client once. They'd had something translated, but they wanted it to be, you know, tidied up. So I was editing that for them. That said, I have avoided face-to-face client meetings in most situations. There are exceptions just from reading the experiences of other freelance copywriters, actually, who would talk about all the reasons why that just didn't make financial sense in their business. They found that clients who wanted to meet face-to-face were often needier clients, which made them you know, harder to work for. They found that a lot of people were just wasting their time. So I have done most of my work remotely. In fact, one of my um, my favorite early clients was a Sydney piano teacher, and I actually play the piano myself. So that was you know great bit of synergy there as well. And we never spoke on the phone. Everything was done via email. And then once when I was in Sydney, we like caught up in person, and I realized I didn't even know how to pronounce his name because we'd never spoken to one another. <laughs> So that was pretty funny. So, yeah. So what are you going to do now? Like after, what are we on? Like five years or so of being Brisbane copywriter, you've now moved to the States. But equally, it seems like in a way it didn't matter whether you were in Brisbane or not. So have you got a plan in that respect? Yeah. So I have a bit of a unique story to go along with that one. So the reason that I'm in the States now is because I actually got married back in February I met my husband February 2018 and we actually met on an online dating app and he was still finishing his MBA at the Marriott Business School in Provo, Utah and I was working in 
Brisbane, Queensland. So there was about a, um, I think he was sort of eight hours ahead of me, but yesterday, that was how I used to think about it. And so freelancing actually worked out really well for dating someone from another country because I would work in the mornings and, you know, that would be his afternoon. He'd be at university or he'd be like tutoring classes. He was what they call a TA here. We call it a tutor in Australia. And then it would be his evening and my afternoon and I'd quit work and we'd hang out, we'd chat via video, we'd read books together, we'd press play and watch movies together, like press play at the same time. And uh, so that worked really well for, for the two and a half months that we were in different countries. And then as soon as he finished, he flew over to Australia and uh, we spent time in Brisbane and we travelled to visit my family in Hobart and we popped over to New Zealand because he really wanted to go there and I was like, yeah, I want to go to Hobbiton, great. And so, and then we came to the States for three, uh, almost three months because when you're on a visa waiver to the States as an Australian, you can stay for 90 days. And so I kept working while we were holidaying around Australia and New Zealand. And I was very fortunate to have uh, one of my best friend's mums was very happy to store all my stuff in Brisbane. So that was nice and easy. So I didn't have to keep paying rent in Queensland. And so, yeah, we continued to, to sort of date in person <laughs> in, in the States for almost three months. Uh, our, our sister-in-law teases us that we had the longest first date ever. And then we got engaged and then I flew back to Australia because I had to go to my friend's wedding and my visa waiver was about to expire anyway. And then when I came to visit for Christmas this year, one thing led to another and we decided we were not going to wait any longer. I wasn't going to go home. And so I cancelled my return flight. I'm still waiting for my money from Qantas, but that's another story. And (laughs) we cancelled the return flight, let everybody back home know and uh, frantically organised a wedding in about six weeks, which is a story all of its own. And during all this time, you know, I was still technically on a tourist visa waiver. So, you know, I wasn't, I was still working for my Australian clients. But after we got married, we met with an immigration lawyer because we needed to go about the process of changing me from being a tourist to being somebody who actually has a right to live and work in the United States. And basically, long story short, I don't have work authorization for working in the United States. And there aren't really any laws to say whether it's okay to keep working for your foreign business and foreign clients when you're overseas but don't have work authorization. Like, it's just a a completely gray area. There's just nobody's really thought about it. And so, our lawyer advised us that we should take the better safe than sorry route, which was as soon as the immigration papers are in, I should stop working. So I'm actually not working at the moment. And there's the process of getting a green card can take 8 to 18 months, apparently, usually on the longer end of that. Getting work authorization, however, takes 4 to 8 months. So I will be back to work eventually. I don't know when. And I probably will keep working with Australian clients, but as soon as I have the right to work in the US, I'll probably, you know, consider chasing some US clients as well. Basically, we just have to work out the legalities of do I keep my Australian business number and operate as an Australian business owner or do I start an LLC here in the States? All that boring, confusing legal stuff that we'll need to work out. But for the moment, I am uh, very free, which isn't what freelance normally means. But yeah, it's kind of (laughs) a bit funny. (laughs) That's the story. Oh my God. So yeah, so you actually can't work or you're you're going for the, you know, better safe and sorry route of just not working. So 
it's like having a four-month holiday or open-ended holiday. Did did you have like recurring clients who you had to? Yeah, so I actually had fewer recurring clients than I used to. Just from I didn't manage my business quite as well as I could have when we were traveling in Australia and the US. So I had fewer recurring clients than I used to. A bunch of them we just did a, a heap of extra work before I stopped working, and others. I've been able to refer to other copywriters. So everyone's taken care of, which is which is good. But yeah, I, I sort of like groan every time I get an email from an old client that I've loved working with and have to explain, I'm really sorry, I can't help you right now. Um, I actually wrote a, a blog on LinkedIn that I published a few days ago called The Day I Fired Myself, which kind of <laughs> shares the story in in a little, you know, little more detail and is kind of handy to have because it let everyone in my you know network know okay guys like I'm off work for a bit and it's just something that I can link to so that they know I'm not making the story up because it does sound a little bit far-fetched yeah man and it's like you've still presumably got leads coming in because of your great standing in as the Brisbane copywriter Oh, it's, I, I almost feel this frustration that you can't have other copywriters working for you. So you're not technically doing the work, but you're Australian businesses. And, oh, my ah! gosh. Yeah. So I've been gritting my teeth. And luckily, I do have a few um, other freelance copywriters that I'm friends with. So I can send it to people that I trust. And if they can't take care of it, I can send people to there's sort of two directories in particular in Australia that I send people to. One is the Clever Copywriting School directory that's run by... Um, Sydney copywriter Kate Toon, who I think you've actually interviewed before. Yeah, she was one of my sort of copywriting heroes when I was a newbie copywriter. And then the other one is the Freelance Jungle Directory, which is run by Beck Lambert, also a copywriter who's in New South Wales. And did you say Freelance Jungle? Yes. Don't they do meetups as well? Do they do meetups? Yeah. So let me tell you a bit about them because I think they're awesome and I totally recommend them. So the Freelance Jungle started off as a, I think it was a Google Plus group, so it's going back a while. So anyway, it started off and we had sort of groups of freelancers that all knew each other online. A lot of us were copywriters, I think, to begin with, as as I understand it, from a copywriting Google Plus group. And so Beck started this group and she encouraged people to meet in person. And so there was a small group of us that started meeting in Brisbane uh, sort of once a month-ish. And it just grew from there and it became, it's now a meetup group, but it's also an online group where people can be part of the Facebook page and there are online meetups where people can join. I think it's a Zoom call and then there's the in-person meetups in Brisbane. And I was actually um, sort of running those for, I think, about two years before I, before I left for the States. And basically the way it worked is we'd set up an event, we'd invite everyone to come along, we'd meet up in a, in a cafe or a coffee shop somewhere. And the purpose of the meetup was effectively to end the isolation of freelancing. So when you're freelancing, of course, you're, you're working by, by yourself, for yourself. You're often either on the dining room table or in a little office at home. Maybe you're at the library. Maybe you're at the cafe. Maybe you're in a co-working space. But chances are you're in one of the more isolated of those options. And so, of course, you know, we all know as, as freelancers, it can be quite an isolating experience. You only talk to your, your housemates or your spouse and your children um, or your pets for, for much of the week. You don't see a lot of other people. And so the idea of the group was just to get together and have a chat. And of course, building on from that was just that benefit of being able to uh, discuss different problems and challenges that we might all be facing. 
because it really doesn't matter whether you're a web designer or a copywriter or you know a carpenter if you're if you're a freelancer there's still so much that you have in common with one another and so it's just a great opportunity to to troubleshoot and to also just talk with people who understand where you're coming from you know who understand a little bit more than than your friends who all have regular nine-to-five jobs that just because you work from home doesn't mean you can necessarily drop everything at any moment all the time and it doesn't mean that when they got a day off if they only tell you that morning that you can suddenly take the day off too you know and so it's nice to have people who understand a little bit better and who you can talk to um, about everything from from quoting and pricing to invoicing you know that that sort of side of things to okay like how should I manage my time better or how should I go about finding more clients I'm really struggling with that and so yeah it just became this little support group and we sort of had a a core sort of few that would come each time and and others would come and go and it was just always really great fun to to meet other freelancers and to talk to people who really understood where you're coming from. That's so cool. And the, you were you were organising those as well in Brisbane? Yeah. So, I mean, organising only meant that I chose the date, time and place and turned up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, someone had to do it. I've passed the baton on since then and I think they're doing just well without me too. But, yeah, it was really great fun. I really enjoyed it. What were, like, out of all, all of those sort of challenges that you would find yourself discussing there, what did you find most challenging? For me personally... It's the feast-famine cycle of work. So work either seems to pour in and there's more than, you know, your cup's overflowing, you can't do it all, you're referring it or you're trying to convince someone that they don't need it yesterday, they can wait a month. And then you have other times where there's just, you know, crickets and that's not so much fun. And so I've, I've definitely struggled with that probably the most of anything. I would always be really diligent about saving money during, you know, the feast times. That I did have that buffer, but it's never fun to spend your savings, even if that's what they're for. It's just not fun at all. There were a couple of times that that was, uh, you know, it lasted long enough, or uh, you know, it was frustrating enough that I considered quitting. Especially because it's not just that you're not bringing money in; it really starts to affect you emotionally as well. I think it affects your self-esteem as a freelancer or a business owner. It makes you question your decision to go freelance. It makes you question whether you're actually, you know, uh, do you just have imposter syndrome? Are you actually an imposter? Are you actually no good at this? And you've just managed to hoodwink everyone all this time and now they've figured it out. You know, there's all those sorts of tumultuous things that go through your mind a bit. And so at one stage I actually started studying part-time. I was like, I'm sick of this. I'm going to go be a high school teacher. So I did half a high school teaching uh, graduate diploma until I realised that there was no way in hell that I wanted to teach history to uninterested eighth graders. So that ended that. <laughs> At what point did you go and do the teacher training thing? That was back in 2016, I think. So I, I studied part-time for a year. So I was working part-time, studying part-time. And I was honestly, like, while I was studying, I was a little bit conflicted because of course, what happened is soon as I started work, uh, studying, work picked up again and I was enjoying it again. And so, yeah, I was a little bit conflicted and then sort of had two things that, that made me realise I didn't want to do it. One was I started working in December of that year, so the, the university year sort of runs from end of February, beginning of March to, you know, October, November. So the Australian summer you, you have off. And so I was actually working on site with a client in December 
And it was the opportunity to keep working on site with them for several more months. And I was really enjoying the work. It was also good money, but more importantly, I was really enjoying the work. And I was really conflicted because I knew that in the second year of my degree, I'd have to go and do prac, you know, teaching as a, as a student teacher. And that would be six weeks blocks, which I'd been saving up for. But I was really enjoying this work and I wasn't sure if I wanted to give it up. And then, yeah, the other question was as that prac drew closer, I realised I didn't want to do this. High school in Queensland is a little bit different to high school in Tasmania. In Tasmania, the kids grow up faster because high school is a four-year program and then they do a two-year program for year 11 and 12 called college at a different campus. And so year 9 and 10 students are actually like awesome to teach and year 11 and 12 students are awesome to teach in high school in Tasmania. Whereas in Queensland, it's year 7 to 12 in high school. And so they're all brats until like year 11. And I was like, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> I can nanny. I can look after five-year-olds and one-year-olds fine, but I don't want to go near 15-year-olds. So that was kind of what happened there. <laughs> and how about the sort of work-life balance of it all? Like how, how have you coped with that side of it over the years? Sure. So... It took me probably, as soon as I started working sort of full-time as a copywriter, when I had enough work to be working five days a week, I realized that I needed to set some boundaries for myself. And so wherever possible, I tried to work nine to five, Monday to Friday. And I I found that I needed a bit more of a sort of a schedule um, and a routine to stick to. So I don't often work in my pajamas, (laughs) like a lot of, although a lot of freelancers love to. I try and do the whole like get up, have breakfast, have a shower, get dressed and then sit down at a desk and work. And that said, you know, I try to do nine to five, but if I was done, either sort of literally done or sort of mentally done or whatever with something or, or whatever, I would happily like knock off and I wouldn't like stress about that or hold that against myself. The other thing, of course, is that I would regularly choose to work overtime into the evenings or on weekends if I wanted to go on holiday or, I, you know, one thing I used to love doing because I had my two best friends that I was living with when I first moved to Brisbane. Uh, one of them was a nurse, so, of course, she had shift work and the other one was working at a hardware store, so she sometimes worked weekends and had weekdays off and we'd sometimes all coordinate a weekday off and go to Movie World, the theme park, because we loved roller coasters. So... <laughs> Yeah, for me, it was it was about setting up a schedule and working a work day, but breaking the rules when I, when I wanted to, I suppose. One thing you mentioned that was in that phase when you went traveling with your boyfriend, you said that you didn't manage your business as well as you could have. What, what did you feel that you did wrong or, you know, that you could do better if you were doing that? So basically... I struggled to to manage my time as far as planning ahead, even though I did know, you know, when I was going to be back and working, you know, able to work steadily and everything. And so rather than trying to schedule clients into the future, I was referring them to other copywriters. And so what that meant was as soon as we got to the States and we, you know, we weren't traveling anymore, we were actually like, you know, visiting family and staying in the same place for an, for an extended period of time. And he, my uh, boyfriend at the time, my husband now, he was working on a Kickstarter project. So he was busy doing that. And I hadn't scheduled work to start then and no new work came in. And so it's 
like it's it's such a stupid thing to do like it was really really dumb and yeah I'd, I'd done the same thing when I'd gone um holidaying in the UK actually is I'd because I was in a holiday frame of mind just work the idea of work stressed me out a little bit and so rather than planning ahead I would push it on to other people basically and so it worked out great for them they all got some great clients and some great work but it was a bit of a mistake on my end Hmm, interesting. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Emily? Right, so I mentioned that I majored in history and I technically qualified as a historian, but I don't actually get to use the history side of my degree very much. So I thought I would share you some uh, truths and a lie from my family history. Ooh, okay. So... Yeah, a little bit different. So my first fact or lie is that my great, 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 great grandfather on my mother's side of the family was the secretary for Lord Admiral Nelson of the Battle of Trafalgar fame. (laughs) Right. My next fact is that my great, great grandfather on my father's side was a convict who was transported from Scotland to Van Diemen's land. Hmm. Yeah which is Tasmania now. And my final one is that my grandmother on my mother's side fled Switzerland and emigrated to Australia with her parents and brother before World War II because they were Jewish and they really didn't like what Hitler had to say on the radio every night. Oh, my. Wow. Okay, so your great, 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 great grandfather hung out with Nelson, effectively. Mm -hmm. Your great, great grandfather was a convict from Scotland... Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how far we're going back. Great, great grandfather. Would he? Was that when they did the whole convict thing? That almost doesn't sound quite old enough. But then I always get confused because actually, Australia really isn't that old at all. No, we're not at all. I think to help you out there, I think transportation continued up until the 1830s at least. Okay, so great, great grandfather. So grandfather would go back into like 1920s. Ah, can't do the maths. And your grandmother, not great grandmother, your grandmother uh, escaped Switzerland and came to Australia. Oh, man. You see, the convict, the convict is very plausible and yet also feels like, feels like the thing that we all think about. So maybe it isn't true. The Switzerland... I mean, Switzerland had just a long way to go all the way to Australia, but I mean, that could be true. Nelson, I don't know why that would be true, but equally, the world was a lot smaller back then. And so there's every chance for that is true. Somebody had to to hang out with Nelson. Someone was his secretary. That's true. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say the convict from Scotland one is the lie. No, that one's true. Ah. Yeah, so this, I forget when he was transported. I actually had to go look up on our family tree online to actually work out how many generations back he was from me. But he's only a great, great grandfather, but he did have children at a very old age, and I think I'm descended from, from those children. So that's how we managed to go back so far. Wow. Do you know what he did? Um, oh gosh, I've forgotten. I think he stole something. He didn't murder anybody. I've got one that did that. But uh, this guy, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's funny. My so my father's side of the family, several conflict convicts in the family tree. On my mother's side, all free settlers. And so she likes to joke that she married down in society. 
<laughs> so did your grandmother come from Switzerland? She did, yes. Yeah. So my grandmother... Oh my God! Yeah. So, so Nelson was the lie. Yes. Yeah, so, oh. so my, my, uh, my great-great-great-great-grandfather had a fantastic name, Nicholas Phillips Rothery, and he's one of those ancestors that all the descendants seem a little bit fixated on. You get these like people that just are a bit larger than life in your family tree. And he's that for, for my family. And uh, he was the secretary for um, Admiral Montague. He actually named his youngest surviving son after him. But he wasn't Lord Admiral, Secre- uh, Lord Admiral Nelson's secretary. My, my great-grandmother thought he was. She used to write about it, but we did some research. He wasn't. But when he was retired, when he was applying for pensions and stuff, he would name drop. So he said he was Nelson's friend, but he really wasn't. Uh, the, the other Nelson connection being that once when Nelson's ship was in quarantine, uh, my ancestor did deliver a letter for him to, uh, to Nelson's mistress, but he was never his secretary. <laughs> wow, good facts. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? It would depend at what stage of my freelance journey you ask me. Sometimes the answer would definitely just be don't. <laughs> that, that's, you know, during the, during the harder times when the, the, either the, the lack of money because you've got no clients or when the isolation really gets to you. At other times, it would just be charge more. I think pricing is a really difficult journey for any, um, any freelancer. And you realize pretty quickly or not so quickly, actually, which is the problem that you know it's it's difficult to charge your worth but when you charge your worth you get better clients you get better work and you actually produce better work because you're not stressed trying to do too much in too little time and then the biggest thing though that I would tell myself would be to build up a support network around you to end the isolation and to have a bit of of mentoring and and support and to provide mentoring and support as well so yeah, for me, that was sort of two things. One was making a lot of friends in Brisbane, which, you know, is, is a little bit difficult to do when you're not actually working in a workplace. I was fortunate in that in the church I was going to, there were lots of people my age, so I made a lot of friends there. And that was, you know, it's really important to have that social network in any place and at any time of your life. And especially when you're a freelancer, you know, you need to be able to get away from work and have people to get away from it with. But the other sort of side of that, of course, is building a network is getting to know other freelancers and other business owners, like small business owners and everything, because it can be really lonely and it can also be really challenging. And it's really great to have people to talk to and to bounce ideas off of. I remember at one stage, there was another copywriter that in Brisbane that I was friends with. And we actually were doing a weekly call. Every week, we would call on a Tuesday morning and we would talk through any troubleshooting or any challenges we had in work but also you know half the time the conversation was around just sort of freelancing challenges like oh you know I've invoiced this guy and he hasn't paid me what should I do or I'm quoting this guy how much should I charge and it was just yeah great to have that support and then in networking groups in the freelance jungle being able to talk to people and very quickly not only are they supporting you and and helping you but you're able to support them because you all have different experiences and it's always valuable to share that and to reassure someone or to help them it's yeah it's really great so build a network that's my my biggest advice i love that and it's interesting like you mentioned like that almost co-mentoring like your tuesday call 
with that fellow freelancer. How did that come about? Like, did you suggest that sort of weekly thing? Did they? Yeah, so it was, I was really stressed about work and I was talking to someone else about it and they were like, well, is there somebody who understands what you do that could help you? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, there's this other freelancer that I'm great friends with. Well, why don't you guys do a weekly call? I was like, that's genius. So I called her up and I'm like, Shauna, this is, you know, this was an idea someone gave me. What do you think? And she's like, that's brilliant. Let's do it. So (laughs) that was that. It wasn't my brilliant idea, but I totally recommend it. I like that. Emily, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Go to beingfreelance.com and you can find links through to what Emily is up to. And uh, yeah, go find her on social, go find her websites and things like that as well. And we'll put links through to what we've been talking about, like freelance jungle and and what have you. So if you've heard something that we've been talking about, you will find the links at beingfreelance.com. While you're there, check out the videos, the articles, all of the other episodes. Remember, you can review this wherever you get your podcast, but also just share it with people that you know who you're getting to know uh, with other freelancers to boot and come join us in the community especially since emily was just talking about finding community couldn't be easier go to beingfreelance.com and click on the community button and you'll come and join me and loads of other freelancers with like live video and hanging out like mini mastermind uh, support kind of stuff going in there as well so yeah come find us community link is at beingfreelance.com but emily for now Well, I was going to say, as I do always, all the best being freelance, but also all the best like being married, being in America. (laughs) (laughs) It's got quite a long checklist of stuff here, but all the best being freelance. No, thank you so much. And thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure.